Hi, you're listening to Ember Island Airwaves. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and we're going to be discussing Operation Bayfong, which is the latest episode from The Legend of Korra. So, uh, last week we had sort of a, uh, let's call it a disagreement over um, (laughs) the direction of the season and the structure of the episodes, the structure of the season, you know, as a whole. Uh, and even the series uh, in general. So um, we were looking for these next few episodes to maybe iron out what exactly they're doing, uh, what the creators are doing with the show, what the writers are doing with the show. So what do you, in that light, sort of in the grand scope of the the series, how do you, do you think Operation Beifong is a step in the right direction? Uh, Yes. Yes, definitely. (laughs) I was very, very pleased with this episode. I felt like finally what I've come to expect from Korra. I, th- I think not unreasonably what I've come to expect from Korra. Uh, they are finally really back in the swing of it. They're back in the kind of the groove of what a Korra episode really should be. Um, what, what I think it should be. What I think they're good at. Um, mm-hmm. and, and yeah, it's it was just, it's really it's fun. It's really tense. It's, um, for the first time this whole season, I felt like Kuvira was a really like terrifying presence um and we'll get to the specific moment i'm thinking of in a minute but um the whole thing with the with the super weapon is is really cool we get the best oh my the best fight scene uh oh my okay i I like the episode (laughs) We're, we're gonna get to all this along the way though yeah definitely um so yeah, I you know so as it, for me this episode was fine uh, or it was quite good. I enjoyed it a lot, and you know I'm always gonna like a uh, Beifong centric episode because I like all of the Beifongs or most of the Beifongs anyway. Um, the ones I could describe on paper without you know describing their relation to someone else or their costume or their you know whatever um, the uh, the red letter media description. <laughs> uh, this description yeah. Um, criterion, uh, but uh, yeah, no, I I would say for the ones that I can really describe, the uh, they're really really fantastic. Suyin and and Lin and and Toph. So and even Opal to some extent at this point I think is has really grown into interesting, an interesting character. Uh, but uh, but I I I think I would have been more satisfied with this episode if it had cut the chorus stuff because I didn't think it really. It fit, like, time-wise. Like, timeline-wise, they have to have Korra doing what she's doing. But in terms of the way it's put into the episode, it doesn't really match anything else. And it feels kind of random. It doesn't have a conclusion. And it's significantly diminished. It's like it's a much smaller part of the episode when it's such an important thing. Like, it's in a very important um, uh plot line you know what's going on in republic city in defense against kuvira is important um but what's even more important is you know cora appealing to the spirits like this whole question is very interesting and uh it seems like it it deserved more time and didn't get it uh and it's not like last week where i felt it was rushed i just felt like they didn't it was like we got two very very brief scenes that hinted at you know what's going to happen next but they weren't I don't know, they weren't substantive, and then I figured it, it, they're so diminished that they could have been cut, and we could have just focused on Operation Beifong, and then covered that stuff, presumably, next episode. Yeah, the the treatment of the Korra stuff was very... It was odd, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was... Um, it was underplayed to an mm-hmm. extent. Exactly. 
Yeah. Well, it was kind of, it was shoved to the background, I think, is the main thing, which is, it, right. I think, the strangest thing, because you would think that in an episode like this, the Operation Beifong stuff would be the secondary story. And the stuff with the title character. Well, you might because, but but because it's so it so directly deals with Kuvira. But but that's my point is that if we need to get an update, like sometimes you se- separate things because you want an update on several different things. But they're all about the same thing. They're all about Kuvira's imminent attack. So there's really no point in the core stuff because we don't. It's if Oper- Operation Beifang succeeds and they destroy the laser, they don't. Um, but if they had succeeded in that, then what core is doing wouldn't matter because they would have dealt with the the issue and so it would be more compelling to maybe have the core stuff first or after but it's sort of interspersed and you're sort of wondering you know what the point of that material is when operation beifang is not only dealing with the rescue of suyin and all of them but also with the um mm-hmm. you know what yeah I mean? well but i with think the, with, like, with the actual threat we have to assume that they're not gonna just succeed in destroying the weapon in episode 10 of the season you know what i mean no, no, we can't assume that. We can't assume that. But although, you know, they could have destroyed the weapon and then, you know, Kuvira in Kuvira's gambit, I mean, we didn't know, could have done some crazy thing that she, you know, uh, does instead of the gun, which is even more crazy and intense. But that's that's not what happened. Yeah, um, I, I guess what kind of... Like, it was up in the air enough for me that I wouldn't have minded if it was just focusing on the Beifongs. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that obviously... The the problem with the Korra stuff really is that is not necessarily that it doesn't amount to anything, because I mm-hmm. I do think this is probably set up for a big turn where the spirits come back in the end and, and help them out. Um, my problem with it is that it is a subplot and not just a scene in the episode. Like I think what you're saying is is similar. Like they could have really condensed the whole. Uh, mini narrative of of Korra in this episode into basically that last scene with her in the spirit world. Yeah, really. Really. Um yeah. then it would have amounted to the same thing and uh, I'm kind of curious about the whole uh, rationale of the spirit's decision. Um well somebody pointed out that Wan Chi Tong says the same thing of uh about um getting involved in the wars of of um of humanity and how there's no people often come to the great library to ask questions you know in defense of something that they feel is a greater evil but they usually end up using it to manipulate you know the the knowledge for their own good um and i don't remember if that's in Korra or the last airbender but uh it's in the last airbender for sure i think is it it must oh, probably be, yeah. is because they're because they're worried about the war yeah. right so and so i think that there's precedence within the series for what um whatever that spirit is says to Korra. But the reason it doesn't uh, make sense is that the spirits as uh recently as last episode, the spirit vines were clearly very you know, all for getting involved in this conflict. They were kidnapping humans because Well that's that's the problem. The problem is we don't have any sort of there's no there's no revelation on what the spirit vines how they relate to the spirit world. Are they you know, it's not. It's very unclear as to what they even. Are. First of all, I thought the vines, quote unquote, from uh, the swamp in Avatar: The Last Airbender were roots. So this vine thing is new to me. I'd never connected the two because I assumed they were roots because they seem like they're connected to the banyan grove tree. And I don't know. That whole thing was weird to me. But we also don't know how they affect. Like 
physically what's going on if Tuvira's cutting, you know, the roots or the vines or whatever on the on the, the banyan tree, the banyan grove tree, then what is the effect in the spirit world? And if there isn't, I can see the spirits being like, Well, whatever, you're destroying the real world, but we don't particularly care because we can always go back to the spirit but the world. Spirits, which is what they do regularly. But my thing is like I'm so in other words, I'm, I can't tell that the, the vines are independent or codependent with the spirit world. That's the part I don't get, which is why I, I just assume they're independent, which is why I, I bought what the spirit said. Well, all right. The assumption that I made was that the spirit vines must have some kind of uh, direct connection to the spirit world because if for no other reason, then what would be the point of setting this up in this episode um, if not? You know, for that, if if the spirits weren't going to have a real reason to come back, but you know, so if we take that as a given, the spirits have to be aware that the and it does. I think Corey even says this, like you, your necks are on the line too, with mm-hmm. the spirit vines. And why, you know, do the spirits not realize that? Are would they not be like offended by this misuse of spiritual? It just seems to run counter to a lot of the spiritual activity. Like spirits fight humans all the time <laughs> in both series like a lot of the time spirits come out of the yeah, spirit world and attack and, and we see we, we look at spirits as like maybe it's sort of uh you know our human uh perspective our i don't know um just we, we assume spirits are in alignment on something but i think spirits are just like humans in that they all have they have different priorities than humans and maybe there's more consistent themes running throughout their community but Every spirit seems to have a completely different interest in what's going on. For example, you know, destroying the real world. There's that. Remember that monkey spirit that has absolutely no time for Aang. Yeah. In uh, yeah, so like that spirit versus what Ko wants versus what they all have completely different. Or or uh, the the one who calls Juan stinky. Like they all have totally different ideas and interests. And to me, um, they they're just very unique and and different characters. So they don't care about, you know, big problems because just like humans, they have their own self-interest. They might be also interested in this, the survival of um, spirits, like, as a whole, but probably only insofar as a human might have interest in the su- survival of humans. But they all seem to get behind this one, like, snake thing spirit. You know what I mean? Like, they they all u- unilaterally seem to be on yeah, but board not... with, with that plan. But to me, it's not unilaterally on board with inaction inaction doesn't seem to me like uh, something that you can all it, it'd be one thing if they all voiced that opinion uh you know if like each one of them came out and said something but it seems to me they were just like they they came they heard what Cora had to say said yeah no and then they left and then the only one who really voiced their opinion was this whatever the spirit was and that's that's pretty much it for me so i didn't get the impression that there was um you know they they all came to a consensus about it it seemed like that was what they were getting across, though. I mean, you know, the, all of the spirits that are there are just in that disappear. in that the pheno in that the phenotype in the end is that none of them are going to help her. That's for sure. But I just I didn't think that they all like had a you know a meeting and decided, you know what, we're not going to help you know Cora uh, when she comes and asks for our help. Like I I don't know that wasn't. My but then what's the point impression. of that scene? Which is telling us like question. all the, well, I think the, the spirits want to help. I think the point the point is very simple, and it, that is either we're going to have this moment where they do come back later, which I would rather doesn't happen because I don't think that would be consistent, um, unless 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 some spirit or some group of spirits is directly affected by the spirit vines, and then they decide, oh, our 
lives are in jeopardy, so we're going to come back, as opposed to worrying about the real world getting destroyed, which, what do they care? Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing could be that Korra, they're just, they're, the creators or the writers are sort of going through the things that um, you might expect Korra to do. Like, first she would check to figure out this thing, and then she would go to the spirits to see if they can help, and then she would try this. And that once those options are exhausted, she can do whatever she's going to do in the finale. Maybe. Yeah, well, then, then the problem would I don't, become, I don't know, why but... did they spend this whole episode on that? <laughs> but they didn't, though. That's what I'm saying. They spent so little time on it that it's almost like, just to get out well, of the way. They spent a whole episode this. with Korra on this specific issue. That's what I mean. Yeah, I guess. But again, it wasn't very much of the episode. And it's almost yeah, like but if, the, I mean, the... if, if it's what you're talking about, then I think in each of Korra's three scenes, they could have maybe had her doing a different thing, trying a different idea, looking for help. Instead of the whole episode is is going after this one plan of action and it fails in the very end and to me that signals that this well, is maybe there aren't just, maybe there maybe there aren't that many options or things that she has to you know what i mean she's she doesn't have a whole lot of ideas you know, on deck and they do they run through two options they run through the uh the mechanical ingenuity sort of side of things with asami and Varric, and they don't really have a plan uh they have those that new flying machine thing but i don't yeah, that's a plan, and so I don't know. It seems like when the pre- when they all meet with the president, that's exactly what they're doing. They are going through those ideas. Most of them don't seem like, and and they come to to Reiko with the this flying machine idea, and he's like, "Well, where's the giant laser to counter Kuvira's giant laser?" And they're like, "We're not doing that." And so one of the alternatives is to go to the spirits, which also also doesn't work. So it's going to leave Korra in the position of energy bending or whatever. And they do, by the way, clarify another option in this episode, which is that the old masters can come back and deal with, you know, the situation in some way. And Toph says, well, they're not going to do that, which we can talk about later. But I think there are a lot of options that are explored in this episode and then discarded, which, again, any of them could come back later. We don't know. Yeah, I, I really... Raiko could, could co-op the uh, um, Spirit Vine stuff. The old masters could come back. You know, Toph and Katar and Zuko and whatever could come back later, and um, the spirits could come back in the last act. But I, I don't know that any of those are necessarily going to happen. I would be very surprised if the spirits didn't come back, because if for no other reason than you just spent another, you know, half an episode with, you know, uh, fi- like with filler that amounts episode. to nothing. It's the, it's it's the half of the story of the episode is my point. There's an a, the A story and the B story, and this is half of what is going on in the episode. Not time-wise, but, narr- but like narrative-wise. I guess. It's so little, though. She just basically talks to Raiko and then goes to the spirit world and asks a question. A lot more happens, I think, with, with Beifang. But anyway, that's, this is all semantic. The point is, I don't know what's going to happen in the finale, but I get the impression there was an intention uh, behind this that is mostly just to clear the way for whatever she's going to figure out in the last couple of episodes about how to deal with Kovira. What that is, who knows, but... I think that's entirely possible, like, they're clearing the plate. Because I think it is important to get the, um, the last Airbender characters out of the way. So it, it, that's a good point. I think they could be doing that as just kind of getting all the other possible options out of the way maybe yeah, fixing yeah. the fixing the the weird plot holes or whatever you know cuz i mean they they already did that retroactively in this episode where Toph's like yeah that's why guitar didn't get involved in that civil war nonsense and i was like okay sure <laughs> i didn't really ever think about it but i guess that's kind of a weird point doesn't explain why zuko was all up in season 3 though 
No. <laughs> no, it has no fear. <laughs> but no, okay. It doesn't explain any of that. It doesn't. And I also, you know, I do want to talk about that moment. We can talk about it now, even though we're jumping ahead. Do you think that precludes them coming back later, or is it just Toph saying that? No, it, it absolutely precludes, then, precludes it, I think. Do you? Yeah. Because a lot of people a lot of people are speculating that that might not. Because, first of all, it's a, kind of a weak argument, especially since we've seen that Toph is more than capable of handling herself. I don't know about Katara and Zuko, but it seems like... But, but Zuko, even if we haven't seen him do anything crazy, has fought. You know, he has done stuff. Toph clearly is more than capable in this episode. So, you know, I Okay, but no, my thing is It's such a weird it's such a weird thing to come out and just say. I know the clearing uh, the plate thing makes sense. I right? think this is their message to the fans of the show, and it's them saying loud and clear, get over it. This is a different show. Like I I really think I don't if I had to guess, I don't think they wanted to do uh a lot of stuff with the older characters. Because this is a different show, and I think there's obviously when it's a show. But there was oh, no reason for them to. Well, you think like Nick made them put in? This no, I think the, I think, I think that the they, fans really wanted to see these characters, so that they want and they wanted to do it because they knew it would, you know, make people happy, and it didn't hurt anything to do it. But I really think that they're telling the audience in this moment, like, look, we're not going to end the Legend of Korra with characters from the last airbender this is a different show when when she says you know sometimes you got to leave it to the kids i think what she's saying is uh we're you know the, the the older characters kind of had their day and you watched it but this show isn't about them this show has to be about the, these characters i don't think it's about them but but it wasn't about the white lotus the masters of the white lotus either and yet they came in but and, those were you know. characters from that show those were characters from that show, but I'm just—I don't think that it would be a problem if they did something that wasn't const- was like sort of sidesteps. Like for example, what they when they retake Bossing Say, the the old masters. Um, that's the ep- name of the episode, I think. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, but they come in and they they take Bossing Say, and that's not—they're not like defeating Ozai or anything. They're just you know, it's a it's an important point, but not the main plot, and it doesn't distract, but it gives us a little glimpse of like their you know former glory. And I don't know. I think it would fit. You know, you'd be just fine to do that. It might. The only way I could see it being a retread is not because we're bringing back the old characters and that's a problem. That's fine, especially since a bunch of them are gone. I think the only thing people might say is, oh, you're doing the White Lotus scene again with different characters. That's the problem I could see them having. But I still, I don't know. I don't think it would be that much of a... Oh, yeah. If they just did a, if they just had a small sort of... No, yeah, I would be actually pretty upset if they came back. In the really? Finale. No, <laughs> I, I don't want to see them ever again. <laughs> I, I would... Because it's just at that point it's just fan service. It's like I'm not if I want to see these characters, I'll watch The Last Airbender. I'm watching The Legend of Korra. I want to see how these characters from this show. But I don't think you know finish I, it. You say that, but that's that's a very non like in this world perspective. Because if you're in this world, wouldn't you expect uh, if they have the capacity to do so? The old and I know Toph claims that her back hurts, but that seems kind of like not a normal thing for her to say. And I don't know. I just don't buy that nearly as much as. Um, uh, as I, I guess you're suggesting we're supposed to, but I just, to me, if they have the capacity to help, you would expect, even though they're from the old guard, f- for them to throw in, you know, whatever help they can offer. Why wouldn't you expect that? In universe, in universe, not from like right, a. Well, oh, I wonder if that. You well, know in I mean? universe, sure, different story, but from you know, from a television perspective, I just <laughs> I. 
don't think it's necessary, and I think it. I don't think it, there's a way to do it that doesn't come across as just ultimately just fan service and just and distracting from the characters that are actually um this show. Well, see, but here's my thing. Well, first of all, in terms of, I think it's, I think it's gonna actually, I do think it's gonna happen, and I think the reason that it's going to happen, the reason I think it's gonna happen is if they wanted to do their have these characters have their one off and then disappear. Uh, and then not be involved in the finale, they probably would have given them each a cool moment. But Zuko doesn't get a cool moment, Katara doesn't get a cool moment, and Toph has like almost a cool moment in this last scene where she almost, it looks like she's going to have a thing with Kuvira, and then that doesn't happen either. So we never get Yeah, but that's that. the thing. We don't need, I don't know why we need that. But my point is that we didn't get, like, there was no conclusion to their... Or affirmation of their character. Well, there was. And then my, my point is, it was in the last Airbender. <laughs> it was in the other show. We don't need it but in this show. Then why introduce them? I just, I if it's just for, if it was, I will be annoyed. To to counter your point, I will be annoyed if their only point, if their only reason for their existence wasn't to play a role in the final, um, in the in the plot at all, because they really haven't played any role in the plot. If their only point was to uh, show up be the characters from the previous series and then disappear, then I find that that's just sad. Like, that's bad storytelling. Like, I, I, you might as well just have had all the characters be dead. Why even introduce them? Well, for, for fan service, I agree with you. I don't think it's... <laughs> I, I don't think that they necessarily should have brought any of these characters back, except in... Fla- I, li- I like the flashbacks. I think those are obviously perfectly acceptable. Well, those make yeah. sense. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think that this would not suffer uh, for having for not having any scenes with Katara or Zuko or Toph. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, you know, individually I liked all of those scenes, I think that... Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think they necessarily serve a larger purpose other than making fans happy. And whether or not that that's, you know, bad storytelling, I think probably that's probably true. Maybe not terrible storytelling, but, you know, not, like, ideal <laughs> storytelling. Right, right, sure. Um, yeah, but I because of that, I, I think that that's that's as bad as I want it to get. I don't think they can make it better by bringing them back again. I guess I yeah. I, it's just if they come, even you know what, I would be down with. <laughs> I would be down with them just having a conversation together. Like they don't even have to fight necessarily. Um, I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast. I'm not necessarily saying they should come in and just wreck everything. That would be cool, but not necessary. Uh, so so they can't fight, fine. It would be nice to see them interact with one another again. Seeing them as separate is weird, especially since we almost never got them separately in the, in the old series. They were always, in some way, interacting with... Like, Zuko was always with Iroh, almost exclusively, except for Zuko alone. Uh, or with Azula, or with other characters. And then we always saw, you know, the gang together. And so I would like for them to... You know, part of the, what's so weird about the character dynamics are seeing them as older people is that we don't see it in context. And so I would be content with just that, or maybe with, you know, in post finale, you know, just a, like a conclusion scene, uh, that has them together. That wasn't, it's fan service, but it's not like directly affecting the plot in any way. They're not just, they're not fighting. They're not really getting involved, but it just, to me, it seems kind of weird to have introduced them in completely separate contexts. They're not, they don't seem to really be in contact with one another. It's just, it's odd to me. So mm. because they've introduced them, they've left this need for a conclusion, I think. And it doesn't have to be a fight. It doesn't even have to be in the finale, but it could be at some point. That's the thing. I don't, 
I, I, I would also like, you know, a, a scene of them just talking. I think that's fine. Um, they could just having tea. I don't Exactly, care. yeah. I think that would be perfectly... <laughs> that, that could be fun, you know, just a couple lines and... Yeah, I, that would be nice. Um, but I don't think that the introduction of them thus far necessitates conclusion any more than, you know, ran, any, any given random one-off character. This is a, needs a conclusion because I think that's their function in this story. Ultimately, I think Zuko is, you know, imagine if this was just a standalone series. He's just the old former Fire Lord who shows up to be to do a thing because he's a you know head of state. Or Katara is the head, the of, head the of the Water Tribe. But well, but he's not. He doesn't really. I mean, she she. Um... Zuko doesn't do anything. He does nothing in the plot. Well, sure, but you no... you know the the guy who. Um... Takes the picture of Korra at the you know fish stand doesn't do anything for the plot, but the fact that he shows up doesn't mean that I don't. But listen, if you were watching this independently and you hadn't seen or there wasn't an Avatar: The Last Airbender, these scenes would be really weird because it's like they're hinting at something that you have no context for at all. But I think they're just hinting at ultimately, if if that was the case, I, they I would hint just at anything about the the fish as well. World, yeah. world building, I guess, is like yeah, they're subtly building the history of this world and we're not really seeing it. I think that's pro- and you know yeah you probably would get the impression that this is you know kind of winking at at fans for a reason that I don't understand but I don't think that I I just don't think that what we've seen of them so far I, I let me put it this way so you feel like it it, it functions as almost epilogue yes yes that's exactly what I was about to say that's exactly <laughs> what I was about to say um I think that we got their finale in the last Airbender finale. And I think that what we've seen of them so far is just like, yeah, the the little tail ends, little trails, um, little kind of excess, kind of just saying, yes, they still exist in this world, and this is what they are now. But I don't think we need to see them have another conclusion, because I don't think we've seen enough of them in this series to ramp up to a conclusion. I guess. I, I would be down for, you know, I know it's part of this is like selfish, you know, fan you know, motivated reasons, but I, I do think it would be reasonable to see them interact again, just because I mean, even within this series, ignoring the previous series, they've all referenced each other at various points. And so <clears throat> if I was watching this show and I hadn't seen the previous series, I might expect them to have some sort of interaction, but it's almost like the way they set these three characters up. It, it feels almost like the white Lotus thing where we were getting these completely random characters who all happen to have this white Lotus pie show, you know, chip and we had no context for what was going on but eventually it all it had a meaning and so if i were watching this and it was an independent show i think i might expect something uh along those lines but who knows i don't know yeah um well just to jump back to the original you know toth line i think that a lot of this episode actually is kind of not so subtle fan communication (laughs) um and oh what was the other one i was thinking of there was one other one uh, oh, it's when um, Toph is talking about Lin's father. Mm-hmm. I am aware of, and I have not participated in, but I'm aware of a lot of uh, heated conversation about the identity of, of Lin and <laughs> Suyin's fathers. And yeah. I really liked this moment because I think this was the showrunners basically saying, yeah, it doesn't matter who their fathers are. What matters is the relationship that Toph has with Lin. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, you see, the... I don't like that, and I'll tell you why. And it's not because I am a fan of that, you know, all that fighting and stuff over that, that 
that topic. It's because when you make the decision, the conscious decision, to have main characters in this series directly related to a previous series, you have, you, you're inviting that kind of silliness. It, you really are. Um, because you're, at, you're, you're building on something that people have already established in their heads. And so they, to show them something that they weren't expecting or to show them something they were expecting but not get clarifying it, you're asking for them to speculate. That's all you're doing. And so to be annoyed with that, if that's the idea here, is that they're annoyed with it, and so they're addressing everyone, saying it doesn't matter, you should be focusing on the relationship. Well, maybe you shouldn't have focused on the Bayfongs for an entire series. Well, I think maybe what they're saying what more is, like, you should be focusing that's on ridiculous. what's happening now. You know? Like, but again, I don't think there's, I don't but think again there's if, you, if that's what they wanted, they should have created two new characters instead of having this... Maybe, maybe. Because, because of course, people are going to wonder about that, because you, you decided to, instead of creating new characters, build on old ones. So, of course, people are going to make, you know, are going to wonder about their relationship beyond just what you're seeing. On yeah, but at this point in the series, I, really, those people should get it through their heads by now that, like, if it really mattered, if it really mattered, we would have said something by now. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's we're nearing the end of season four. You do these? Do you, yeah, but to me, to me, it feels like they're addressing something that people were asking since season Exactly. One. You know what I mean? It's, it's more like that. But it... But it's like a it's like a late response to an old question that we never needed answered, perhaps. But again, the justification for I don't know. There's just a lot. There's a lot of weird things with the creators and why they decided to make certain characters relevant in the new series, and you know, and then they found themselves in this corner where people were asking them questions about the characters in relation to the characters as we saw them in Avatar: The Last Airbender, and they're like, "Why are people so focused on this?" Even in season four, why are people still focused on this? Because, you know, first of all, you, you've introduced Toph again as a character. You haven't, you haven't, like, shunted her off to the left and then said, you know, she's not a character anymore, so we don't have to worry about her because she's dead or she's wandering the planet. We don't, you know. But she, they brought them back in, and then not only that, put them together in the same room. And then, you know, to address this, I'm not saying I didn't like this moment. In the, It's just, if that's what it was, if it's the way you're describing it, I find it... I don't want to say obnoxious, but it's it's just it's silly. It's like petty. It's like okay, you're addressing it. Address here's a here's a, a counterpoint. I agree with you if we're talking about the Zuko's mom question from season one when Iki's asking the question of Katara, because that has no relevance to the plot at all. And so to bring it up is sort of, you know, it's it's it, that was the creator saying that exact thing, but I think it was legitimate because they weren't inviting that question at all. Zuko wasn't there. No, no questions about the Fire Nation royal family made any sense at that point in time, and yet that's all people were asking. Whereas here, um, it's totally reasonable to wonder about the identity of, say, Lin's father, because not only is it... I would actually counter that it is relevant, because understanding her relationship with Toph, you know, her mom, is also going to be probably related to what happened to her father. Maybe her father died, maybe her father left, maybe her father... You know, who knows? Well, but... I, okay, here's my thing. <laughs> Um, I com- I disagree. I completely disagree, because the fact they, that they don't give us any information about that should indicate to people that it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? We don't learn anything about Lin's relationship with Toph at all until like season three, and even by that point, uh, you know the implication we get. By by that point, uh, we know that uh, Toph and Suyin had different fathers, so right away we get the understanding that. Uh, their fathers were, you know, not 
really around because Toph broke it off with at least one of them, and we can probably assume the other. Um, or not. Mm-hmm. Or we cannot assume the other. We can assume that since Lin is older, uh, maybe Su Yin had a father around and Lin really didn't. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think that the specific identity of those people is at all important. And I think if it was important, if it was someone who we knew, then they would have told us. And I think that, that that's something that all these fan arguments, I don't understand. It's like, all right, if you want to pretend that, you know, whoever is the it was the father, then that's fine for you to keep in your head. But I don't don't pretend that it has any relevance to what's actually happening on this show. Well, you know, what's interesting on that note is that I did read a very interesting theory about uh, about Batar. Did you read this? Oh, you know what? I totally did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the guy the person who speculated that maybe Batar and Batar Jr. and that, that that's Sokka's line. And so And I actually was I like that theory a lot. But I don't you know Sokka's kid married into the Bayfuck. Yeah, I, which would make sense. But that would make sense plot wise because, you know, for you know, she's a um Batar is a an inventor and very smart, and so is Batar Junior and or he's an architect. I that's guess. also kind of a water tribe name. It's a Wadi Trebi name. He has darker skin. There's a lot of reasons to... And he's also his facial structure seems to mimic the way Sokka looked as an older person. So, maybe. You know, that, that could be it. But there's a, there's a direct relation to the plot. It's just that I don't know that we necessarily need it. I would have been fine with, like, Lin being the chief of police and having, you know, being Lin, Lin Lee. You know, just some random character. Like, I, it didn't need to be a Beifong. But they made it a Beifong, and so I think they invited that question line of questions on themselves but I, uh, I don't know we could have just learned about this new family like I don't, it didn't need to be the bay fox that's the that's the question i have is but the fact that it didn't need to be but then if you're going to do that why not i don't know why not but exactly the uh, reason not address these the questions. reason not is because it doesn't matter the reason you say okay she's lynn Bayfong is okay we get it she's toff's daughter cool the reason you don't go into it further is not because you're hiding something, or at least at this point in season four, you should be aware that they're probably not going to have time to do a big reveal on this point. The time you would have done it would have been when they were doing the whole Beifong family thing in season three and talking about their history. And even right, in those right. flashbacks, there was no mention of the fathers. So mm-hmm. I, I guess you could say you're inviting questions, but again, I have to think... I just want to be clear. I don't actually care about No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I just I understand where the speculation comes from because it's you know it seems like it's obvious that people would wonder that and it seems weird that the creators are like it doesn't matter but it does you know, like, it really doesn't they've had to but they've had to add this scene this this moment in then in your in in your view they've had to add this scene in to address something that only had to be addressed because they set themselves up for it. I don't think it. they set themselves up for it at all. I completely sympathize with the creator. Well, then they should have stuck with their guns and just not addressed it at all. Why would they Because I think that they are trying to teach people a lesson. <laughs> I really do. Well, I think they're, that's and, 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 Hey, if, if you, know, you want to see that as like didactic and condescending, then I think that's a fair yeah, exactly. way to read it. I, that's a fair way to read it. But I, like I said, I sympathize with them on this point because I can... I can see from their perspective, like, we're just trying to tell a, a story that is not in direct relation to any kind of, any anything that might have happened on The Last Airbender or any character that we haven't mentioned uh, yet from The Last Airbender. We're trying to tell a story about the characters from Korra. Why are people so obsessed with whether or not a character from The Last Airbender is the father of 
is is the parent of one of these characters when we've already told you that one of the characters from the last airbender is the f- parent of one of these characters so don't you think that if another one was the other parent we might have told you that too yeah but again that irritation seems misplaced uh just because i don't know I, I, again i don't i don't see any reason in making the toff the parent in the first place that's the the fundamental part of this is that i don't get it there's nothing in um the comics that would suggest that she would become chief of police. There's nothing, uh, there's no reason for it to be a thing. They did it because, I don't know, they wanted people to have, you know, make it accessible to the, um, to, to viewers of The Last Airbender to, you know, I guess to rope them in. But it, it but that comes with a cost, which is that people then expect other things, like it's going to have more connections to the past, you're going to give us more information, as opposed to, like, no one's wondering about Cora's parents or grandparents or any of that, because it's not, it's irrelevant. Because she's a new character, or Mako and Bolin, we didn't like get some revelation that her, you know, because they're completely new characters. And with that, I mean, I don't, I don't think they use those new characters as well as they could have, perhaps. But, I, but no one's asking those questions because it's not. There was no invitation there to ask those questions because there wasn't any connection I, to the previous. I don't series. think there's an invitation, and I, I think ultimately what it comes down to is that. You, you know, and I don't want to speak for the creators, but if there's a frustration there, I think it's because they are trying to not tell a story that has to do with The Last Airbender and what fans are asking for, what fans, you know... In this instance, the question that's being posed has nothing to do with The Legend of Korra. It has to do with stuff that happened previous to it with the characters, all the characters from The Last Airbender. So I think from a you know writer's perspective, you could look at that and think... Why are why am I being asked to address something that has nothing to do with the story I'm telling? I guess, I guess, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Hey, because by connecting the two, by saying Lin is Toph's daughter, you've you have um, you've implied this entire mo- uh, series of events, this entire time span between the series that now people are speculating about because we knew Toph had two kids. For all we knew, Toph just died without kids, or she got married, had kids, and like lived in a little village somewhere. That would have been fine. We even they even basically suggested that in uh, the first series when Katara's like most of my friends are gone or dead or whatever she was saying there. Um, there was no need to have these characters come back. You know, Katara being the last one would be totally fine, and it would be important for her to be there because she was Aang's. You know, and we know Aang is relevant to Korra automatically. Uh, so to have him not be around, which he can't be because he has to have died. Katara is sort of a requisite character from the previous series, but everyone else could have died. There was no reason for them to be around. And so, uh, but by saying that not only was Toph alive, she had kids and they grew up and they had two different, you know, fathers and all this other stuff. And then to be like, well, it doesn't matter what, what their father's name was. It's like, well, you know, you've set up a lot of pieces to this puzzle and then you're not giving us like the last little bits that would connect the, the rest of the dots. And maybe they're both, you know, Joe Schmo and, you know, Kanto. Is the you know is is Lin's father? Maybe Suyin's father is you know some other random person. Who cares? Like, fine, just tell us that. But like, also, why in this scene would you not address who Suyin's father is? I thought that was just gonna you know follow so that we'd get those two answers and we could all move on. But they don't even address that. It's almost like they still leave it open. Yeah, and I, it's just yeah. But I I mean all right, like I think <laughs> I don't see how you can. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying you're doing this. I know, but I I just don't see how you can look at this structure of the you know Beifong storyline throughout the series and not think mm-hmm. well obvi- and why would you think 
obviously they're hiding who the fathers are because it's, let's just say, it, they're thinking Important. it's Sokka, I think, is the main one, right? Yeah. Yeah, Sokka's the main one. Um, why would you think, all right, they're clearly hiding that it's Sokka and not think, well, if it was Sokka, they'd have probably told us because they've already told us that these characters have a connection to one of the original Last Airbender characters, and we have seen Sokka in flashback, and Sokka is not even around anymore anyway. So, if it was Sokka, we would probably know, so the assumption we have to make is that it's not. I just don't understand where the question comes from. Like, why do... <laughs> well, because you're making the assumption. I mean, it's basically, you know... We know Sokka was in Republic City. He was... You know, he was all... They were all around each other for an extended period. Well, I don't know where Katara was, but it seems like, you know, Sokka was chilling in Republic City, and so was Toph, and they were both important... One was a politician, one was a, you know, chief of police. I don't know. It, I don't know. It's just, a, again, I don't care, and I don't even know that Sokka is, you know, like, none of this really is all that relevant, but I just, it's the the indignation over the question that I find funny, because it's, and the fact that they feel the need to address it, et cetera, et cetera, and that that, that annoys them, if that's the case. And again, I didn't even, let me just backtrack here, I don't even feel like this scene was condescending, because I was just like, oh, we're getting a little bit of, a little tidbit about this new character we've never heard of, Kanto. Cool. Move on. Um, but if it is addressing the fans that way, if it really is this, you know, maybe condescending, maybe not moment, uh, I just find it funny because, again, I, it seems like uh, they, they made their bed, you know? Yeah. And all right. All right. So final point on this, because um, I, I agree with you that I don't think it matters. But we have talked about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's even though we're both in agreement that it's pointless. Irrelevant, yeah. yeah. Um, I really think that, from to put it another way, when they introduce Lynn, they say, she is the daughter of Toph. I don't understand why people don't think that if Sokka was the father, they wouldn't have just said, she's the daughter of Toph and Sokka. Yeah, right? Because he's important. Because he but... is equally as important to that period of time and that group of people as Toph was. So why wouldn't they have? And you know, isn't you know, isn't well, Bolin's because... whole thing that he's a huge fanboy of the original uh, gang? Like you don't think that mm -hmm. maybe he would have known about it and brought it up? I think that's a better argument because the first one I might have, I might respond with Sokka. Uh, it it seems like I, we we don't know this, but it seems like both parents left at some point, or Toph left them, and so uh, left the. Um, Sorry, uh, Toph left both husbands. I don't know if that's true, but it's sort of implied, I think, that that's the case. And so Sokka has a good reputation, mostly. And so if this was a moment where he decided to skip out on the family or it didn't end well with them, kind of like how we didn't, they didn't introduce um, Tenzin as like Lin's ex until like it had to be included in the plot later on um, because it's like sort of a sore spot. You know, you might not mention it. If Sokka wasn't there to raise the kids the entire way through, it might be awkward to mention it then. Now, would Bo Lin have mentioned it? Probably. That's probably a lot more relevant. And he probably would have um, fanboy even, fanboyed even more over Su Yin if she was, because we know it's not Lin, obviously, so she, he would have fanboyed more over Su Yin and he seems sort of indifferent towards her. Yeah, exactly. Now, the one last thing I want to say on this point, because I think it, can, it transitions into the rest of this episode, is I do think what is relevant and what is interesting about this uh, to put it in a totally different context, is the reason the fathers don't matter, the reason all of this is the case, the reason Batar Jr. and Batar Sr. are such, I don't know, nothing characters. 
the very neutral sort of, I don't know, not terribly compelling. A lot of the other characters take a lot more agency than them. Uh, there's as, and I think most obviously in this episode when Batar Senior is swung uh, from the jail cell over to the the little incline on the um, the little cave thing as they're escaping, um, is that if this is really a female dominated family uh, from top down. It seems like the women are far more interesting, take a lot more agency, do a lot more in this family than the men. Um, Zelfu itself was run predominantly by women, it seems like. And so it's just... Men sort of seem to take a back seat, and so maybe that's also part of it, too. It's just, just from like a gender perspective, this family just might be a predominantly like female-centric uh, sort of group. Yeah. Which might be why, which, which might also be why they just aren't so focused on, and it might be because Toph made this made these decisions to leave people in the past that you know she sort of figured we can fend for ourselves, and that sort of trickled down into Lin and uh, Suyin and, and then Suyin's kids. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> so, on that front, did you? Uh, so there was a there was a lot going on with this this uh, cannon. By the way, this this gun, this cannon. Is apparent. This a lot of people know this already, uh, but it was. It looks exactly like uh, the uh, not Gustav. the World War Two yeah. uh, Gustav cannon, the Schwerer, Schwerer, um, yeah, Schwerer yeah, Gustav. Um, so it's this big, this big. It looks exactly like it. So clearly they're doing a World War Two thing. If that wasn't evidenced already by the stormtrooper, like you know, um, Star Wars like, but then by the transitive property World War Two like characters. Uh, that's clearly what they're doing here. Um, so, but again, so just to go back to the female centricity of this, I would say this season, uh, particularly, and, um, I guess a little bit of last season, but definitely this season, um, which I know we talked about before and we had some disagreement over that, but here again, we have Julie making some really cool decisions, um, and, and, you know, getting the upper hand on, uh, Batar Jr. for a good chunk of the episode, um. So I, I don't know. I just I thought this and this also, also we have Toph coming in to save everyone. And it seems like it, that that was sort of the angle of this episode. But um, how did you feel about Julie's, I guess, double agent? Uh, well, role? I called it right. Well, yes. Can I just say that? <laughs> I, I called it. And that, I think that was even that was the episode where we had that conversation about the. the oh, was it? The female oh, yeah, characters it was. It was. and yeah. Well, I just want to in case you haven't heard that episode, I want to clarify. I don't disagree that the women on this show have, take agency over the men, especially in this season. My disagreement was that this season is notably different from the other seasons on that point. Um, ah. I just thought that, yeah, right, the, right, I thought the right, show has right, always sorry. been good it, at this. Your argument's always more nuanced than I... <laughs> I whenever I repeat your argument... <laughs> well, I mean, no, what you said wasn't wrong. <laughs> I just wanted to, like... I don't want people to think that I don't think that the women on Korra uh, take agency, because they uh, do, and... This Julie moment is awesome. It is so mm-hmm. cool. Um, <laughs> can I just say this? Uh, first of all, it, it directly parallels what Varric did a couple episodes ago, um, with you know threatening to and intending to blow oh, himself, wow, intending yeah. to blow himself up in order to uh, yeah, yeah. kind of Save. yeah it did well to I guess remove this. Well, Varric is it's implied was just committing suicide because he was so distraught over Julie. Um right. what what is so amazing about what Julie does, it, it's so heroic because she is intending to 
just to blow herself up in order to take down this tyrannical dictator and this super weapon. And she's doing this with the full knowledge that if history remembers her at all, she will be remembered as a traitor. Um, no one will know that she did this. And that is, you know, the ultimate heroic act to me is doing something that is so intensely selfless and knowing that no one will know how selfless you were. Julie is just amazing. She's amazing. Um, I also just found the way that they decide to try and kill her, they don't succeed, but the way that Kuvira decides to try and kill her is so... Um, you know, it's almost it's almost mustached. Really. It is. No, it's uh, tying her to the railroad tracks. It really is what it is. It's literally what it is, because it's a railroad gun, and then they... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so they basically, she's like, I'm going to vaporize you in a giant town where you're the only person there. Uh, and I don't know, it's just... It's crazy, but I, I don't know. I liked it. Oh, and this, it was cool. <laughs> speaking of which, um, this moment was, the like I said earlier, the first time this season that I've been genuinely terrified of Kuvira, and the specific shot I'm right, thinking yeah. of is when... This was the uh, moment. Kuvira, like, looks at Julie and then, like, floats the piece out of her, out of oh, her shirt. Oh, I was wondering about that. That was, yeah. oh, that was so scary. And Okay, that's funny that you liked that, because I, well... Because in the narrated thing, he she probably just, just killed put it right through her eye. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, did you like the fact that she had it on her person? Yeah, yeah. really. And because I wasn't sure about that, I was the I was, the, I was the like, rational. Why would you hide it? The rationalization that I came up with was that uh, because of what had what she had been trying uh, the day before, that um, Batar Junior would have been like, obsessively checking it in the immediate run-up to this test. So she had to take out the piece, like, right then and there. Right before. So she didn't have time to hide it. She couldn't have just, like, thrown gotcha. it away. Someone would have noticed. No, and so I thought that exact same thing. I just figured we might have seen that scene. You know what I mean? I know Well, I that think that it, it becomes a twist when they do it this it's way. It's a twist, right. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, there's this implication already that she's on their side, so... It, it's fine, and, and we can infer it. It's fine to infer it. I just, I thought there might have been something, even if we they don't show what it is, even if she's just, like, adjusting something later, or if you see her, you know what I mean? So you don't know what it is, you don't know what it is. And then they, um, you know, and then they go, oh, the pin's missing. You go, oh, that's what it is. Oh, my God. And then she takes the pin out. And then, so it still would have had the same moment, but it might have explained why she has it, you know, on her. But whatever, it's fine. It's just, you kind of figure Kuvira's going to figure it out. Well, yeah, but I mean, I think Julie. Ob- she, I mean, the other thing is uh, Julie it. obviously doesn't care because she's planning to die anyway. Right. So she might as well try. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I thought the moment was really great. Um, <clears throat> we get that earlier on too. We get you know her sabotaging the little ring thing, and she's been doing a lot of really cool stuff um, uh, on behalf of, I guess, the Avatar and 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 Zafu and, and things like that. So, um, and then we. Uh, Bolin has a few big moments here where she, he basically um, it seems like at first he's there just to help or just to get Opal back by you know saving the Beifangs um, but which is what Mako had just accused Wu of saying in the previous moment and that's a whole thing where you know men only do things to get women uh, to like them but then Bolin sort of first he seems to be following that mantra and then he volunteers to save or he, he says, we have to go save Julie. I can't just leave her there, which is not for Opal's sake at all. 
because they're all ready to leave. And that moment, I think, justifies Opal taking him back and also shows that he's evolved beyond his older self, who was more in the uh, Wu line of thinking. Really? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, Bo Lin has always been the most uh, selfless character, really. Or the most... Not that. He he's always been, more than any other character, kind of guided by uh, his sense of uh, righteousness. You know, he genuinely... He, he he's always had a good heart. He's always re- genuinely done what he thinks is the right thing to do, what he thinks will help people. Um, that's why he was with Guvira, and I think that in this moment, Opal realizes that, and, you know, she realizes that he wasn't with Guvira because he was a bad guy, that he was just misguided. I just think, I think that's a lot more basic, you know, that he, he you know, that Opal would realize that he's not... Um that he's not bad and that, you know, he just was under Kavir. Like, I don't think her problem with him was that he was evil. I don't think she ever thought that. I just thought that she was under the impression that he was sort of weak-willed, didn't really have... um, First of all, he sort of ignored her for a good period of time um, and then sort of expected her to be super happy with him. You know what I mean? There was a lot of... It was more complex than that, her problems with him. It wasn't just about you know, exactly what he did and more that he wasn't questioning things. He was following people instead of thinking about them critically. Um, but not only that, that he was, you know, in some ways uh, quite selfish. He comes back and just expects her to jump back into his arms. And she has thoughts about that and that he doesn't really address that. He doesn't really think about it. And then I think in this episode, what you get is uh, him demonstrating that not only is he um, and he was never evil. I just want to make that clear. When I said that he he's changed a lot, I don't mean that he was ever a bad guy. Although I I would argue that maybe his his treatment of women, uh, particularly in season two, would predicate would predicate that you know, a little bit. Would uh, would temper that a little bit. And uh, but I don't want to get into that again. But I I think that in general he's been a pretty good guy. But that um, a lot of what he does is uh, not selfish per se, but it's for a goal that's not entirely altruistic. And so what he's done as, you know, especially since leaving Kuvira, especially in this scene, or what he's demonstrated is what he did, for example, for the refugees, you know, but, you know, Opal wasn't there to see that. So he did the same thing here for Julie's sake, uh, for no other reason than he just wants to save her. He's not trying to impress anyone. He's not trying to show anyone, um, you know, that he's a better person. He just is being a better person, and I think that's what Opal responds to. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, the whole their whole thing in season three was that he was always trying to, you know, impress her and be all whatever, uh, and then mm-hmm. and she just wasn't having any of it. So, yeah, in that sense, I agree. I just don't necessarily think that Bowen has changed as a character, you know, ultimately. I mean, uh, honestly... When you get down to it, he is doing all of this to win her back. Like he, it's really no different. And I, so, and I, she's aware of that. No, but I don't. But I don't think so. I think saving the Bayfonds was, but saving Julie wasn't. I don't. He didn't need to. They were all ready to leave. And then he was the one who says, "No, no, we can't leave Julie behind." And he's, and in that moment, it seems very earnest. It seems like he's not doing that for a reason. Whereas he was when he wanted to save the Bayfonds. He wanted to meet Toph. He wanted to. If impress Opal, he says specifically over and over again, I'm here to do this to get Opal back. Specifically. Uh, it keeps getting brought up. But when he wants to save Julie, I think that's an important moment where she sort of looks at him and goes, oh, he's 
serious. This isn't just an act. He's not just doing... And it's not that it's an act, but that he's not just doing this to impress me. He really genuinely cares about these people. He cares about my family. He cares about Julie. He cares about saving the Earth Kingdom and, and Salfu and the rest of the world. Um, I think that's what she's responding to. Uh, yeah, well, no, I agree with you. I just don't think this is an evolution on Bolin's part. I think it's an evolution in this series, in this season. I think that this season has shown that quite a bit. I mean, this is why I've liked him so much more um, towards the end of last season, although not in his very last moment with um, Zaheer. But uh, in general, his 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 um, his arc, especially in this season, has been to show that not only is he interested in helping his friends or people who are going to benefit him or or to impress, uh, you know, women, it's his, he's grown more altruistic, I think. Well, but he is always, see, I think he's, that's always been who Bolin is. I, you know, in season three, he uh, makes Mako turn the ship around because in order to save their family who they just met. In season two, he he does the whole movers thing because he genuinely thinks he's helping with the, uh, uh, the... Yeah, but he, yeah, but he becomes incredibly headstrong. He's all about the fame. He's all about that. I don't think that's the case at all. I think he's all about that stuff, and that's not. You know, I actually have a. <laughs> I think he's without... all about it, but I don't think that that's. I don't think that that's what's driving him at heart. I just, I, I, I don't. Well, no, but that's just so. Okay, so I'm gonna make an analogy to a friend of mine who will remain nameless. But I have a friend who was always a very, very good kid, uh, and and obviously that's why we became friends in the first place. Um, who also has this tendency to sort of go with the crowd or go with whatever's going on in his life. Um, and he gets caught up in that. Now, the actual person he is underneath is often, um, is always has always been there. But it just, it takes time sometimes for it to come back out again to realize this is the person who I became friends with initially. And so I don't think that Bolin necessarily became a, a different person or a bad person or at any point in time, but he does go through these phases of getting really, um, you know, like the movers where he's so focused on you know, the fame or the, you know, he gets really headstrong. He becomes really, you know, and that's what the whole fight with Mako is about in those seasons. And here he, you know, same thing with Kuvira. And it was all about bringing the the root of Bolin's character, the real Bolin back that um, Opal, I think, responds to, is that when she, when he decides to go back for Julie, that's the moment where he already had one Opal back. There was no reason, like, it, uh, in name, he had one Opal back. He had done what he said he was going to do, and she said that that would have done it. And he goes beyond that to save Julie, which was not part of the deal. I don't. Did I he think, had he won Opal back at that point? Well, I would. So that's the question. We don't know what would have happened, but I think that. But what they the 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 setup for this whole episode was: come with me to save my family, and I will get back with you. Which is basically what she says in the previous episode. She said, "You're looking for a way to redeem yourself. Oh, well, here's a way to do that. You can come with me to save the Bayfongs." That wasn't the oh, that wasn't the impression I got. I got the impression that was. I don't think she was going to take him back. I think she was saying, "All right, you want to help? Fine, but that's not going to change anything between us just because you're doing this." Oh yeah, see, that wasn't how I interpreted that at all because she's very clear about it. It seems like. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't think you could also argue that it, you you could make an argument that maybe she was just desperate for help because no one was going to help them. Yeah, which also you could argue, but I just. It seemed like the dialogue was very straightforward in that scene. Yeah, no, I, I don't, because I don't think that, because even, you know, at the start of this episode, she's still in that attitude with him, where she's like, yeah, I, you know, I'm not, we're not back together just because you're helping me, you know, I, I'm grateful for your yeah, help, but, but I, that's not going to change again, anything. I, that's funny, because I read that scene as, um, 
we haven't saved them yet. Don't assume that we're getting back together because you haven't proven yourself. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's was, not how that I was read. what I thought. That's not how I read the. That's funny. Well, anyway, I thought this was a good scene when he volunteers. That's to... no very good scene. Yeah, and then the confirmation of that moment is when Opal says, "I'm going." You know, decides to go with him to save Julie because he's going regardless. And that's the other point is that he's very likely going to die there, and then it's because he goes with. Opal, that I think they is that when they take Juicy? Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting. Uh, <laughs> moment what is wrong with that bison? I, I don't What's know. What's going it's, on? This is not. It's not. Has a perpetual okay. cold. <laughs> it's very odd. Um, well, I'm glad they addressed it because someone pointed out in one of the previous seasons that that would look like a very sick bison, but apparently that's just like the way that bison is, <laughs> which is like uh, okay. So, uh, so that was interesting. Um, uh, or kind of a strange subplot, weird revelation. Um, so, uh, the last thing I, I just want to talk about is that, uh, oh, well, we got to talk about the, the big fight scene. Yes, so. yes, you wanna, yes, yes, yes. Do you want to go ahead? Yeah. Uh, this fight was amazing. Um, <laughs> this is what I said to you, uh, yesterday or the day before when, when we're recording this is that. The specifically the Suyin Kuvira one on one is the best uh, fight scene that I've seen in 2014 TV or movie. And you said that was very bold, and um, yeah, I mean it's a very obviously it's a very uh, sweeping uh, proclamation. It's it's uh, <laughs> it is a very like it it might make someone who's listening to this wonder how many action scenes has he watched. This year, you did see the raid too. I did see, yeah, and um, nope, none of those are winning. Um, that that movie is a is a uh, is a punishing experience. Um, I just wanted to. You should probably leave it at that because that could be read as good or bad. No, yeah, no, bad. That I I loathed oh, that film and those right. th- those fight scenes. Uh, just to I guess compare, uh, they went on endlessly. They were, you know, inventive only, you know, in a very arbitrary way. Like, look, this character has hammers, and she punches people with them. And this guy has a, I don't know, I think it was like a soccer ball, and he punches people with it. And that was basically it. <laughs> and it was that for two and a half hours. It goes to for It's a two and a half hour long movie. It's insane. It's a terrible movie. But anyway... um, <laughs> What I realized is that I really haven't... I can neither confirm or deny this because I have not seen The Raid or The Raid. <laughs> um, well, yeah, what, if you want to watch The Raid, it's shorter and it's no different. It's the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, what I realized is that I haven't... You know, I've seen, I've seen movies with, with action in them, but not a lot of, like, standout fight scenes. And I, the only one that would really <laughs> rival this scene for me this year is the Tenzin Zaheer fight from last season. Which is awesome. That was a phenomenal fight. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I think Amazing. what's great about uh, this is that in animation, um, you can spend a, you can, I think, frame things better, uh, or, or at least it's, it's easier to, to frame shots better, and in order to kind of focus on the most important moment right, of choreography, right. you can get the choreography. You can, you can uh, move the camera in ways that... Uh, 
positions the choreography better because there's no actual camera there. You can just draw whatever you want to be seeing. And and importantly, unlike Game of Thrones and, and a lot of other shows, uh, the camera's not jumping all over the place because that just doesn't happen in animation, really. Yeah, it, there, well, in animation, like... Because that would be very difficult to animate. Yeah, <laughs> to, like, and put the camera why would you want to draw, like, a second-and-a-half shot instead of just drawing the full move? I think that's, like... I was an animator. I would feel weirdly disrespected by that. I was like, "Why would you? Just, why don't you let me draw this instead of yeah. cutting it to a million different angles of it?" Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, and you know, it's it's fun. Did you see the every frame is a, every frame of painting? Uh, uh, Jackie Chan, com, you know. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in that, they talk about a lot of things. Uh, it, it every frame of painting. By the way, if you haven't seen this series, it's just mind blowing. This his name is Tony Zhu, I think, and he's just. Man, I mean, the analysis of the film is just its mind-blowing. It's really phenomenal. Uh, but he talks about Jackie Chan and how he does uh, this, this, this action-comedy combo, and he has a lot of points in it. But one of the things he talks about is um, the, the filmmakers who are shooting these scenes because so many um, famous movies out of uh, China uh, were are like kung fu movies, you know, especially Jackie Chan films, of course. And so they're... Um, so especially when Jackie Chan's directing, and somebody who really appreciates the form is looking at this, uh, looking at the film... He, they they look to to put the combat on display. They, they they know that people are there to see the fight. And so if they're gonna do a cut, it's gonna have meaning. It's not gonna just be because they want it to be kinetic and crazy. They they keep the camera steady so that you can see what's going on. They'll do things like um he specifically mentions that uh like they'll show a punch twice, first in long, you know, in, in a uh in a medium shot, let's say, and then in a close up, so that you really get the emphasis on the punch, but it's because they want you to see the choreography. They want you to see what's happening and appreciate it. Um, and it's something that a lot of modern films, as, as he also points out, don't do. Uh, they, they cut in continuity, so they don't re-show the same shot uh, more than once. They show, like, you know, a punch will be midway through the air in one shot, and then in the next scene it'll pick up midway through the air and then connect. And so you don't see that the impact is lessened. Um, but I, I highly recommend you see the video to, to hear exactly what I'm talking about. I'm, I've butchered it uh, sufficiently at this point. But the point is, is that in this show, I don't know that they're sh- doing the the second thing where they show the same hit twice, but they are keeping the camera sort of grounded in a way that we can see what's going on. And and not only that, the other thing that they talk about in that is how um, uh, how Jackie Chan uh, will use the environment, uh, things that we don't normally see as. Um, as uh, used for like combat, like a weapon, uh, and then use it in in context of a fight, and so like a weapon, like a an umbrella or a fan or something like that, and we even get that in this scene. Um, do you, Do you remember the scene where or the shot where she grabs uh, the 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 part of the railroad gun thing and she grabs the the railing? Do I remember rips... it? Do I? Oh my god! Um, I I thought you were going to mention the part where she rips up the panel, uses it as a shield, shield, and then, and then it, it becomes yeah yeah. That's also typical. Oh, and w- oh, <laughs> while you were talking, I forgot that I saw the movie Why Don't You Play in Hell this year. Uh, oh. Wait, okay, that movie is on another plane of existence from every other piece of media. So the fight scenes in that movie are amazing, but I cannot reasonably compare anything in that movie to anything else. So, <laughs> um, so that's the caveat, too. Go watch that movie. But, um, <laughs> yeah, th- this fight was so cool, and it was... I, I loved the use of the surroundings. Yeah, I love when she rips up the uh, the railing and uses it as like a staff and, yeah. and deflecting the things. I and um, it's. I was wondering why they never use metal as armor 
except for like you know Kuvira has it pre-made as armor and all that but they like never do because that was one of the coolest things Toph did was like rip off metal and then walk around in like you know as Iron Man Iron Toph or whatever <laughs> That was always that was always really cool uh, when she would do things like that that were sort of new because you're like oh of course you would do that if you could make a metal suit why wouldn't you you know so it's just I don't know I thought that was um, cool to see Suyin do it and it was more nuanced than you know the, it was very smooth this armor that she pulled onto herself um, yeah. which I think is the hallmark of a, a an, an accomplished metal bender because Toph had just learned how to do it and that, what's funny about that is earlier in that episode when they're sneaking into the camp I don't know if you noticed this Toph rips open the wall and they go in to see where the prisoners are hiding. Or no, 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 when they see the gun for the first time. And when the, she closes up the metal, uh, it's like perfectly smooth so that the robot doesn't, or whatever, the guy in the suit doesn't see that the wall's been ripped apart. And in Avatar The Last Airbender, whenever Toph would rip apart something and metal and close it again, it would be like all wrinkled and screwed up. But she's clearly mastered, you know, uh, doing it with some finesse. And so has Suyin. So when she takes the armor, you know, when she creates the shield and then makes it into armor, it fits on very smoothly. I thought it was a very interesting, subtle little detail. Yeah, well, the whole this whole fight is nuanced is the perfect word for it. And um, thinking about it in context of specifically the fight uh, that we talked about a few episodes ago, and that I just rewatched before we started uh, the Korra Kuvira duel in the <laughs> Battle of Zaofu. Um, this the Suyin Kuvira fight. Um, every five seconds, it changes. The dynamics of a change. There's some new element introduced and then thrown away because it's not useful anymore, or that you know, or or is adapted in order to fit the new circumstances of the fight. And it is just all over the place. And this is clearly to, and it's not the Korra Kuvira fight, which is Korra throwing some rocks or some air or some fire at her, and then Kuvira throws some metal onto Korra and throws her into the ground. Repeat. <laughs> It's just well, more so, interesting. But I think the difference, I think it's intentional, though. I actually, now that I've seen that, I, don't, I still don't disagree that it's as repetitive as you say. It is not one of the more innovative fights. But I think the intention is to show that here we have a, two metal benders fighting. And so they have more capacity to figure out. And I know Cora can metal bend, but she's not. She's, we've never seen her fight with metal bending, I don't think. So she's not nearly as versed in it. And so here we have, if, if basically, if Lin had just. Uh, sorry, not Lin, sorry. If Su Yin had just stood there, um, Kuvira would have done the same thing she did to Korra. She would have picked her up and hit her into the ground. She was trying to do that. But uh, Su Yin is used to fighting this kind of person, and so she, or she's used well, to she the She taught the technique, probably. She taught the technique, right? So she's much more able to defend against it and do a whole bunch of other cool things. And I think that's the difference, is that Korra's not used to fighting a metal bender because when would she ever have the occasion to do that? So I think that's part of why that other fight is so dull is because Korra has, is approaching the situation from a very uh, standard point of view when it should be fought in a non-standard way, like the way um, Suyin handles this fight. Uh, narratively, it makes sense. I can also see how you could say that fight was far less interesting than this one, and I also completely agree with that. And the, re- uh, the surrounding aspects of this uh, fight are also... A lot of fun. Uh, although, oh yeah, you have the whole family. Yeah, the, uh, whole Wing family and Wei, the, their kind of tag team effort. I, I don't know if we've seen it before. Uh, maybe in no, it wouldn't have been in Battle of Zaf. I don't remember. But if this is the first time we've seen it, it's so it's a perfect example of uh, what the Last Airbender used to do so well, and what Korra also also does well to an extent, uh, usually with the lead characters, which is 
the very specific details of the ways that characters will adapt their fighting styles and adapt their uh, bending styles to who they are as people. And I love the... Did we ever see twin uh, benders on the... Have we ever seen twin benders before? Hmm. Like as a thing? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, so it is really interesting to see how they... You know, they're, they're never... Oh, wait. Yes. Yes, of course we have. <laughs> the... Uh, um... What should we call it? Uh, the waterbending. Uh, the oh, Eskan does. That's right. Yeah. Eskan does. We we didn't really see. Did we really see them fight together? I'm not sure. Yeah, Maybe. sure. Maybe when they're when they're. Um, oh well, yeah. Of I course. think there's a couple. Uh, times yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. Yeah, we did. I was they, like, there have to be twins. I, I knew there. They twins. weren't really doing what Wing and Wei are doing though. No, um, no. Where they're very much like completing each other's moves and um, kind of working in tandem, working you know ha- doing. <laughs> Half of a move each that will complete to complete a certain action, like pulling people in with the with the cable. It's just um, and it's not dwelled upon in not even in the uh, cinematography. It's just it's just happening. Exactly, it's just happening. This is just the way that they operate, and it's one of those cool. Like I think, like I think I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago with the um, Varric's hand signal for six is the Chinese or mm-hmm. the uh, or maybe I'm not sure Japanese. Yeah, too. it was Chinese. Yeah, Chinese. Uh, for hand signal for six, like we would just hold up a hand and a thumb. Um, Mm. And again, that's not something they dwell on. That's not something you would even notice, but it's there. And the show has always been so good at that. Mm -hmm. Although this is less, I I think it's less um, cool because it's not like it's a cultural thing. It's just a, you know, it's just, it's just going around in the background. And I also, you know, I don't know what the point of all these other Beifongs is. Like why, (laughs) Why are there so many Beifongs? Like from from a creative uh, from a creative perspective, why make Suyin have so many kids? They don't like some of them are for comedic value, I guess. But like some of them are just like Wing and Wei. You can't describe them; they're completely non-characters. Yeah, I mean, I guess this, this scene wouldn't have turned out any different without them. So I don't really know what the point of that was. I don't know. I guess like just why not? Yeah, I agree with you. There's well, no there's exactly. no like necess- <laughs> why not? <laughs> there's no like, necessary purpose to having each of them specifically. But uh, yeah, I guess, you know, yeah, maybe they just wanted to do, have the funny artist character and they wanted to do the twins and, you know, they haven't really done anything with the, with those character types. Um, is there another one? I know there's Batar Jr. There's oh, Opal, I obviously. I feel like there's another yeah, one. Yeah, I feel like there I must be another one. <laughs> I mean, exa- this is exactly the point, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm there's no real, like, it is weird that there are so many of them. Um, but you know, whatever the scene, the scene worked out, and then we got this this last moment uh, where Suyin sort of loses to Kuvira, uh, which makes sense. She's I don't know, I guess she's supposed to be a bit older um, at this point. But uh, then you know, they they this strategy has never made any sense. The the blocking yourself off in a little ring characters keep doing that in this series. I'm like, that's never ever worked <laughs> ever. <laughs> I, the, even the Red Lotus does it. You're like, why why do you you know, when you're surrounded, it makes sense. But then they do it, and so they get surrounded. And I'm like, what did you think was going to happen? You have to have an escape route so you can come back around and flank yeah. or do some other sort of thing. I guess, I guess maybe anyway. the immediate logic is just like, I don't want anyone to get me from behind. But I agree with you. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it seems it's like not a, it's not a great strategy. Yeah. And it only works for Aang in uh, the fight with Ozai when he like balls up in that rock. And and, uh, Aang, because... and Ozai like destroys it after a while. Yeah, he destroys it, and then you know, there's the Avatar State bit, which yeah. also is part of it. Um, but it's not a good strategy. The holding up, I mean, the, the whole theme of Avatar The Last Airbender is running away and 
closing off is not a good move. Um, it's not a successful uh, offensive strategy. So, um, although I guess that's what Zafu is. It's a giant metal, like closed <laughs> off, you know, so. It is, yeah. And it, and it doesn't work at all when uh, it's attacked. So, um, I guess there's, the, although they don't really, I guess they don't really um, have a fight. Maybe it would have worked as like a defense, you know, fortified fort thing. But anyway, um, so this fight, and then this fight ends with uh, Toph showing up, you know, where they, it seems like all is lost, and then Toph comes in and destroys an entire battalion of characters, which is why I don't buy the, my back hurts, you know, I don't know. Well, yeah, but I think the problem, and um, first of all, the problem with this obviously is like, you can't have her fight in the final battle because now we know that she's she so just, overpowered. She, she would just immediately destroy everything, and I think that's the same problem. <laughs> this is probably the same for Katara and Zuko. I mean, Zuko is a, has a dragon. Uh, come on, you. Whatever's going to happen <laughs> in this finale, a dragon would probably be pretty helpful, but that mm. would be too easy. Um, mm. And the other thing is uh, the problem. That the corner that they've written themselves into is with Bolin, because um, although Bolin isn't here at this fight, is he? He's at the. Uh, the little town trying to save Julie. Yeah, he's on the other side. All right, side, so they yeah. figured that out. But Bolin with the lava bending, that's insanely powerful. That's insanely... So, you know, you would think that it's it's really lucky he wasn't... Uh... I don't know, he totally was there. That was before, wasn't it? No, I don't think he was in that fight. Maybe he... I... Was he? Oh, no, because they fly away at that point. Maybe she comes... Yeah, comes don't they back. get out at that point after Toph comes? Yes, they, they do. They definitely do. After Toph comes, they run off, and then they go back, I think. Uh, yeah, because the no. because they're in the town when they when they shoot the the. No. No, Bolin's in the town, and then I think oh no 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 it's it's Toph shows up with Bolin and Batar Senior and the rest of them to save Suyin and the rest of them. Uh, Bolin yeah. is on Bo, Bolin is on Juicy. Right, 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 all right. But um, um my point is so, that so yeah, it is it is. But although, do you think uh because they also hinted that maybe Bolin might also learn to metal bend. Um, or at least some people are interpreting that way when, when Toph says that anybody can learn to metal bend. There's no reason you shouldn't be able to do it. Uh, at the, at, when they're all I don't know. I mean, I feel the like... The point, it's, it's, it's not something that I want to happen. It just seems like they were sort of hinting... Because she should have... They, you know, they could have been like, oh, well, you have lava bending, so it's fine. It's, you, know, you have your own special ability you can do. But they don't. She's like, oh, anybody can learn how to metal bend. It shouldn't be. But that, she says that before she knows he has lava bending, so who knows? Maybe, yeah. I, 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 the I impression know. I get from all this is, like, you get the one special sub-skill in this instance. and Well, that's the impression, but, you know, it might also serve the plot if he's, like, the one who destroys the gun, let's say. Because he can Well, that's what I was about to say. Bending. The problem with Bro- Bolin having lava bending is that he... <laughs> I was about to say Brolin, yes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he is a he is a bro. Anyway, yeah, kind of. <laughs> the The problem is that he should very easily be able to just open up a pit of lava under a section of like the treads or something, and come you know, not if not completely uh, immobilize the, it, the yeah. gun. I was about to say the drill because that's it reminded me of the drill. Yeah. But um, <laughs> at least put it out of commission for long enough to, you know, deal with the rest of Kuvira, you know, her whole plan or whatever, her right. army and everything. So, and that may happen. I mean, it may, but again, that just seems like a, well, I guess we'll have to see where the, what Kuvira's gambit is next yeah, week. Yeah, I was going to say, Kuvira's gambit is the, the big question. But it would be, it just seems like a very easy, and it seems like something that they'll, that, that they'll have to write around, that Bolin mm-hmm. has this incredibly powerful ability 
Well, it takes time to do. I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, that's you know? that's true. Yeah, you know, like when Gazan would do it, he would like take like a couple of seconds to like build up the lava before he would, which is not always so feasible mid fight. Um, yeah. So maybe that's it. Uh, so next week we have, uh, as we said, Kuvira's Gambit, which you know who knows what that's even going to be at this point. But uh, I mean, she has the laser, so there's not really a Gambit. So far, they haven't introduced anything, you know. Um, I guess we'll see what happens. Maybe she'll try and uh, abduct Korra or... I don't know. It seems like she has a game changer. Oh, the one thing... This is what I'm going to say. The, the, um, in this episode, we got it, sort of got confirmation that her interest isn't just the Earth Kingdom, but to conquer the whole planet, the whole world. Where she said uh, to her people when she's like, you know... And she says, you know, we've, with this, we've united the Earth Kingdom or, or Earth Empire or whatever... And trust me, that's only the beginning, implying that that's not going to end with... I mean, we know, we know they're going yeah. to Republic City, but... Well, that would be a very Fire Nation thing to do, is to... Because it wasn't Sozin's whole argument, like, yeah, we're so prosperous right now, we should share it with the it's rest exactly, of the world. That's exactly Sozin's argument. Um, so I could, very, I could totally see them going in that direction. Like, yeah, you know, that Kuvira's whole thing being, we're, hey, Earth, Earth Empire's awesome, we should make the whole world as awesome <laughs> as us. It's interesting. It's such a. I like that. You know, it's it's a lot more interesting than Sozin was more interesting than Ozai in that regard, because because Ozai oh, yeah, was like, sure. I just want to conquer all the things and blow everything up, and um, Sozin was more like, you know, he still wanted to conquer a place and it was bad, but it it almost came from a place of good, almost or misplaced, you know, misplaced uh, generosity. <laughs> Let's call it that. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Uh, we'll see what happens, but I am excited to see what Kuvira's Gambit is because I have really very little idea of what's going to happen next. Um, I thought uh, Asami and Varric's plan was going to be a giant robot, and it looks like that's not the case. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it's going to be a lot of small or, robots. It will be a lot of small robots. That's definitely true. We knew that was going to be the case. And it looks like this, the Colossus is, is this big gun. Uh, we were talking oh, is about that what that it's last called? week, so... No, I, we didn't hear that, but that was just the assumption I made because it's really oh. big. <laughs> um, hmm. So I could very, you know, it's... I think it's, at this point, a little more reasonable than our previous prediction, which is that there was going to be a giant robot. Well, now we know what they're using the laser for, and it's something that's also it really is. big. And so what I like, too, is that they've integrated the, the new technology of the railroad in with this. That I don't know, are they going to wheel it in on the, the Republic City Railroad? That would, that would be, be awesome. They put it at the front of a train or something. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, doesn't well? Do they have a railroad in Republic City? They have one. I they think, have one in Boston, no. Yeah. Well, they have the train station. Oh, yeah. Okay. They have the train station. Oh yeah. True. True. When they maybe that was the point of that scene. Uh, yes. <laughs> Finally, a reason for that episode to oh, exist. Yeah, that episode. What was that? That was a reunion. Reunion, yeah. right? Anyway, sorry, totally off the, off topic. So next week, Kavira's Gambit. All right. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me for this, and um, uh, I look forward to discussing Kavira's Gambit next week.